This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. This podcast is Shareable. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard, commonly known as the world's most handsome strategist and professional speaker. I'm also a superhero. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single Shareable episode. And that's it. That's the intro. Short and sweet. Let's get to the show. Today, we're going to be doing a masterclass, so get ready to learn. You may recognize my guest today from episode number 92, What It Means to Be Inclusive. Robbie Samuels is what you might call a multi-hyphenate. He's a professional speaker, business growth strategy coach, virtual event design consultant, executive Zoom producer, MC, podcast host, author, virtual presentation skill trainer, and I'm probably leaving something out. And this is one of the reasons I love talking to Robbie, because we're a lot alike. I do a lot of things as well. Uh, he's been recognized as a, quote, networking expert by Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and Inc., a few small publications, and as an industry expert in the field of digital event design by JDC Events. As a virtual event design consultant, he assists organizations with bringing their events strategically online with less stress and greater participant engagement. As a business growth strategy coach, he helps his clients discover likely prospects who already know, like, and trust them, so they stop struggling to launch their offer. Since 2016, he has hosted the On the Schmooze podcast, and since March 2020, a weekly hashtag no more bad Zoom virtual happy hour. Please join me in welcoming, all the way from his home in the Philadelphia suburbs nearby, a TEDx speaker, an HBR contributor, and a Scrabble champion, at least in his own home, Robbie Samuels. Welcome to Shareable. Actually, welcome back to Shareable. It's nice to see you. Nice to be back. Nice to be back. Scrabble champion in my own home. It's true. Yeah, it's all about that triple word score, drop it in a Z and a Q. That's the move. Mm-hmm. I'm so terrible at Scrabble. So uh, <laughs> when we hang out, we will not be playing Scrabble. But I'm really good at Taboo. And uh, I, I like uh, games like Mafia. And I don't know if you ever heard of Avalon, but they're like people reading games. I feel like you'd be really good at them. Oh, you have to teach me. That'd be yeah, good. it's really good. It's fun. So um, what's up, man? It's, it's really nice to see you. It's nice that you have a book coming out. You are constantly doing things in the background. And, and you have so many things going on that uh, it makes me feel like I need to add more projects to my list. I'm just like, watching <laughs> Do you. Do not compare this. yourself to me. I like being busy. Yeah. Um, yeah, my book actually officially launched October 31st uh, this year. And it uh, currently, as we record this, has 154 reviews. And it hit number one in eight categories, including two Canadian and one Australian. And uh, it's number one new release in five categories, including women in business. So feel really good about how the book launch went. And as everyone who's you know done a book knows, it's not actually about the book. It's about what you do with the book. And so yeah. um, that book actually led right into an offer. And I, I also launched the offer. And so we're in the process now of you know, seeing if we're going to close anyone else for it. And, and then more research calls to see what else I'm going to create for this audience that I've been you know, kind of, uh, I guess, really gathering for the last few months around the book. And uh, so build your audience, right? Like that's, that's my whole thing. So that's what I've been doing the last few months. It's rocking. So I have a book coming out in January and I've been um, watching as you post updates about like how the book has been going since it launched. I'm like, wow, I really need to like sit down and let Robbie coach me on how the heck to launch my book because you came out of the gate like swinging and it's been really awesome to see all the success you're having with this. Well, here's a little tip. If you join my book launch team, I'm offering a book launch uh, debrief masterclass for my launch team members. That's and rocking. it's uh, going to be in December. 
And I, I basically given away. I mean, I did a, I did a similar masterclass for my first book. It's available on my website, but this is sort of an upgrade. It's a, new things that we tried, mm-hmm. but you know, prior to the pandemic, I had been known for a different thing and I had to reinvent myself last year and I was able to do so. And I built this like, you know, really thriving six figure business in like eight months to a year. And so I got asked a lot this year, how did you do that? And so the book in a lot of ways was an answer to the question, Robbie, how did you do that? But more importantly, it was how the reader can do that themselves. So I, I feel like the the sort of reinvention, uh, what it looks to me is that the work that you were doing prior to the reinvention or the pivot is actually really, really useful for what you're doing now, right? So going from inclusive networking to small list, big results, and like helping people launch businesses by understanding their audience, I feel like the inclusivity piece is probably really, really helpful in that. Well, the through line in all of this is engagement and relationship building. And, you know, I believe that events are about content and connection. And the reason people get on planes to go to conferences back when that was a thing we did, it wasn't just for content. It was for the, for the possibility of meeting great people. Now people going to conferences didn't always follow through with those intentions. In fact, they had, their intentions were very high. Their follow through was fairly low. And I was operating in that space in between trying to help people do better. And then when virtual events became synonymous with events, I thought, well, that's still true though. Events are still about content and connection and virtual events really were bad at doing that connection piece prior to the pandemic. It was like, you know, webinars with 45 minutes of death by PowerPoint followed by ineffectual Q&A and no moderating chat. So I kind of got into the virtual events game with an eye towards, well, how do I make these engaging? How do I help people build relationships? And, you know, when I launched the first virtual happy hour in March uh, 13, 2020, it was not to build a business. It was just to show up and be of service. And it led to several new revenue streams. But now it's back to teaching people how to network. Um, But, you know, I'll tell you something, Jeff, when I first, you know, went into business for myself, like I had this side hustle, I was doing talks. And I was you know, really, really going well with these talks around networking. But five years in, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna become an entrepreneur and focus full time. I couldn't figure out how to sell something that wasn't a talk because a lot of people say they need help with networking or, or they, a lot of people say networking is not their strong suit or mm-hmm. they, they hate it or they suck at it. But, but I couldn't find the people that wanted to get better at it like, and actually pay money, but there wasn't enough urgency. And I don't know why it took me so long to repackage it as business development. Like it literally took me years to understand, oh, I can teach people networking as long as there's an outcome that they want. It's not that I, it's not that they inherently want to get better at networking, but if I can show them that this will get them closer to their outcome, that's where it sort of lines up. So I'm, I'm in some ways back to my roots of teaching people proper net, networking skills. It's just that the context is now very specifically about nurturing an audience. Rocking. Well, today uh, you've come on and you're going to tell us all about uh, how to build a market before launching an offer. And I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of how the relationship building factors into that. So yeah. I want to ask you a couple questions to get us started off on the masterclass uh, path here uh, that helps to set the context for the people that are listening to this episode of kind of what they're going to get out of it. Are they the right people that should be listening to this episode or not? Um, so just to start out with, we're going to talk about the uh, the building, an off, uh, building a market before launching an offer. So who's that for? Who Like who should be listening to an episode about this particular topic? Anyone who wants to have greater impact and greater income than what they're doing currently. Uh, could be someone who's got a side hustle that they want to get started. It could be someone who's fully employed thinking about leaving their role. It could be a coach, consultant, uh, solopreneur, entrepreneur, 
uh, who maybe has uh, one line of business. It could be a speaker um, or a coach who does a lot of one-on-one coaching, but they want to have some kind of group program. Uh, it could be a consultant who wants to figure out how to do B2B better. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a group program. It's just, it's basically anyone who wants to increase sales. And it's usually for people who have something they want to sell that's different than what they're currently selling. That's, that's sort of the key. Like if, you know, they may already have sales in one area, but they, this is a new offer in some way. Now, when I say new, it could be something they've been trying to sell for two years, (laughs) but it's an offer that hasn't gotten off the ground. hasn't found its audience yet. Those are the people I think would benefit the most. Okay. Got it. So anybody that's, uh, it like, sounds like there's a wide swath of people. It could be, but you've got something and you're looking to launch something new. It either could be derivative of what you're currently doing. It could be something you've tried and, and unsuccessfully launched, uh, or it could be something completely brand new. It could be a complete pivot, whatever it might be. It's you're a person that, uh, probably works for yourself or has something on the side that, that is working for yourself and you try and launch something new. Okay. Mm-hmm. So sounds like a lot of different people. I know a lot of the people that listen to this show are going to fit into that. So great. We're already hitting the mark. Um, so let me ask you this. A lot of people try to do things like this. I talk to a lot of people that want to launch an online course. They want to uh, launch a new aspect of their career, a masterclass, all these different things. So all these people want to do these things. What in your experience uh, and, and either in your experience for yourself or working with your clients has been one of like the most significant and, and recurring problems that people seem to keep crashing into? Like what is, what is the common pitfall that makes teaching people this material so necessary? So the common pitfall, which is so common that it's hard for people even to recognize it as a pitfall, is that they get an idea in their head from talking to people. Maybe they talked to a few people. Maybe they saw something and they get an idea of a solution. What form that solution takes is irrelevant, right? It doesn't matter what kind of program, what kind of offer, but they get a solution in their head and they immediately start to build on that. And they immediately um, go in their basement, essentially. They go into their mind. And without engaging with any of the likely prospects, they build something. And then months later, they, and this, by the way, is true when you're writing a book, launching a podcast, it doesn't have to be like you're thinking about a a program with revenue. It could even be those other things. And when they do finally bring it out to the market, the market basically says, who are you? What is this? Well, I don't, I, I don't need this. And you know, they need it. That's the part that's so hard is that you're the expert. You actually have a different vantage point and you're certain you're absolutely certain that people need your solution, but they don't know they need it. And that is the common mistake over and over. I did it. I actually don't know anyone who's been successful in business that hasn't done this in some form or fashion, sometimes a lot. Um, but you you get really excited and, and you also get excited about your how. I think a lot of us are really into our how, meaning the, our process, our seven steps, our IP. We get really into our how and no one cares about the how until you prove to them that this will actually be valuable and get them the outcome they want. Because if the answer, like if I can convince you, Jeff, that I could help you achieve your success, like the success you want, and then I told you to jump on a pogo stick five times, you'd be like, where's the pogo stick? Like, like it's about trusting the person and believing that you can achieve that goal. And the how is, is not the issue, but so many of us lead with the how and the audience is just like, yawn. This is such care. a tough pill to swallow because this has like been a recurring theme for me because like you, I have a gajillion projects and so many of them are born out of somebody comes to me and they're like, here's a problem I'm up against. And I'm like, great, 
I've built an entire solution for you already. So like I've got, for instance, a product that's um, that I've done absolutely no promotion on whatsoever uh, called how to business, how to build a business in one week. And it's literally like a seven day go through, just do the things on this checklist for seven days and you will have, a, and I've done this. I've built businesses this way and I've helped other people build businesses this way. And I've built it as a product because I knew people need it. And people are like, oh, how do I even start a business? And I've, I've told multiple people about it, but it, I, it just hasn't taken off the way that I think it would. And it's such an amazing guide. It's so easy, easy to follow, whatever. And, and as you started out uh, talking about this problem, it resonated so hard with me because in my head, I'm like, this is what you need. It's exactly what you need. And it's in the format you need. And it's easy. And why aren't you just buying it right now? So it, it, is, uh, it is a problem that I, I 100% can see clearly uh, that that is a real thing. And I'm sure people listening, if they've tried to launch anything, have gone through it as well. So and what's the alternative? It, be, it gets demoralizing. I just want to say, like, I yeah. want to, I want to, you know, honor everyone's feelings around this revelation because it is a big revelation. Um, it, it, I think for my assistant actually was gobsmacked throughout the process of this book being written and launched. Like, like so much of what we were writing about and talking about in the process of our meetings, she was like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm really mad right now. And I was like, what? She's like, I just realized that I could have been doing this three years ago. Like yeah. I could have, I could have actually moved my business forward three years ago that I've just been like banging my head on this. Like, like that, that angst around that I, I want to honor cause it's real, but now you know that there's something else going on. So the way I think of this is, um, the, that people want to provide value that you want to, you want, you want to help people. So now if you listen to this masterclass, you will learn a better way of achieving that. I know the reason we all create these things is to be of service and to help, mm -hmm. right? But if it's not working, like if it's not getting to the people that you want to most help, this will help you figure that out. And I think okay. you're about to ask me how to do it. Well, yeah. So I want to get right into it because if it's, if it's that problem is what we all run into, then I think we obviously need to kind of like get into what the alternative is. So setting the stage kind of like what's the starting point for Let's let's make this super real. Can we just use an example throughout this whole thing? And and I'm not actually I have a whole bunch of things, but like I don't want to focus on any one in particular. But let's pretend I'm launching a new product and use that as sort of like the through line for the episode. So mm -hmm. I I have a new seven step guide or something like that that I want to launch. I know it's helpful for someone, and my instinct is I'm just going to put this out there because it's super useful and I've already solved the problem and blah blah blah. What's what's the alternative? How should I start this instead? If I have this thing that I know can help people and I know if people have asked for it. What's my what's my better starting point? Well, I think that the issue is that if we build something out fully and we get become very committed to that form that it, mm -hmm. it's taken, it's really hard to adapt it to any kind of feedback. Mm -hmm. And we get our ego caught up in what we've created. And so I would suggest that you hold you hold lightly to an idea of what this can be, mm -hmm. that you you have a general idea of the problem you're trying to solve for people and a general idea of how you would go about that, but you don't get hung up on, is it a class? Is it a masterclass? Is it a, is it a PDF, right? Is it, you know, is it texting someone every day for seven days? Like you don't get really hung up on the modality um, because you may not know the best modality that the other people need. And the other thing is you may not know that people need three steps before your, your offer. Right. Or they might be three steps beyond your offer. Like you, you might be missing the mark a little bit. So mm -hmm. the best way to do this is to start talking to people. And that's what this, this whole masterclass is really explaining how do you do this. But essentially, you want to do research calls with people from within your existing community 
your existing network who, who are likely prospects and also likely referral partners and fellow experts and get a better understanding of the marketplace from the people who know the marketplace, but also better understanding from your likely prospects, what they think the problem is. So just taking your earlier example, like to do a legit example, like you have this, this like start a business in seven days, the way that your likely prospects are thinking about that, the question they're trying to solve for doesn't seem to be coming in the same format that you're saying, here's the solution for this question. Like your question that you're solving for and the question that they're solving for is a mismatch somehow. Mm -hmm. And it might be mindset, honestly, like knowing how to do something and having it all laid out for you is not usually the issue these days because we all have access to the internet and someone has done a wiki, <laughs> a wiki how on how to do it. Like, like these things exist. And so, you know, when you, I know you've been reading my book, like the beginning third of the book is all mindset because I don't think people will take action until they believe they can take action. Mm -hmm. And so it might be that you would have to have conversations and you would have to discover like what is actually the, the precedent you would need before they were ready for this program? Or how would you have to market the program so they knew they were ready for it? How would you help people qualify themselves and like, like, like identify, oh yes, this is for me. And sometimes it's simple language choices. I have an example in the book between talking about your, your program for women who are fatigued and then you interview women and none of them use the word fatigued, but lots of them use the word exhausted. So why not switch your language? Just say, this is a program for women who are exhausted. Like, yeah. like little tiny tweaks, it could be, or it could be methodology. You might be excited about launching a mastermind and then it turns out people aren't knowledgeable enough for a mastermind. Like they need training. Like if people need training, then a mastermind's not the right fit because they're gonna flounder for the whole time they're in this mastermind because they don't know what they're doing. Mastermind's great for execution. So then you're like, oh, I better create, you know, a mastermind for people who are ready for it, but I also need to create training for people who need that. So, so I think sometimes we just, um, we forget that we are experts, but our likely prospects are not. And that is the lesson. So there's two reasons people resist doing the research calls and they're kind of extremes. One is people who are nervous about talking to people. <laughs> like there's just the, I don't, oh, what would I say? Who would I talk to? What would we talk about? Like, Am I just pitching them things? I'm like, no, you're not just pitching them things. So then the other extreme are the experts who are like, oh, I already know my audience. I know what people need, you know? And I'm like, well, then it, your offer would be selling right now. You know, like, like, I'm sorry to say this to you, but like, that's not the case then. So expert syndrome is what I call like the thing that gets in the way of us actually being curious and open to learning. So if you could just sidestep those two issues to people who are like listening to this, then I think you'd, you'd gain a lot you know, like the fear of who am I going to talk to and what am I going to say will be solved by the steps we're going to lay out. And then the like people who think I don't need to do this. You know what? If you if you truly didn't need it, you probably wouldn't be listening. <laughs> you wouldn't be asking like, well, how do I do this better? <laughs> you wouldn't have that question. You'd be you'd be busy fulfilling on all the things that you've sold. Yeah, I have a handful of questions coming out of this. So the the kind of the first thing is, you know, when I'm thinking of like my products, my, I know one of my biggest problems is that I just, I build things and then I don't promote them. So like I, I basically will plant a seed, water it until it sprouts, and then I will walk away. Um, so that's been my problem. And what I love is that the research calls piece of it, apart from being just a good strategy on its own to actually learn more about the audience and everything is actually promotion as well, because you're connecting with people and letting them know they exist. So just going through that process seems like it would also be really helpful. So I want to dig into research uh, calls and, and how that works and how you would recommend people go about it. But um, I, I wanted to touch on something first, which 
is kind of a, a little question that was needling at me a little bit as you were talking about this. So you said not to get uh, hung up on the modality of how you train or, or like how you might put something together for someone that solves the problem. But I'm thinking of, you know, the, these experts that you're talking about, the expert syndrome. And let's say that as an expert, you know that your best method of being able to deliver your content is via the written word, let's say. Like I know for me, I'm most comfortable writing. Then after that, I'm going to be most comfortable with spoken word. And then after that, it's going to be video. And then after that, it's whatever else, like maybe drawing something. So I have my preferences of how I like to communicate because I think I'm the best at it. I have the easiest time communicating information. So in that case, wouldn't it be that if you were, say, really good at creating videos, like that's your best method, that you would then attract an audience that appreciates that modality? You know what I mean? So like, wouldn't the ideal audience then be somewhat interested in learning in the particular way that you are interested in delivering that content? If you discover people need a different modality than the one you want to serve, then they're not your ideal clients. You got to go yes. find the audience of people who are your ideal clients then. Like, yes. And by the way, I want to defer the, for a moment between ideal client and likely prospect because mm -hmm. this term ideal client, every, oh gosh, when I like went out to become an entrepreneur, like full time, I signed up for all these courses as you know, you do. And that was the first mo uh, module on all of them was like, yep. describe your ideal client. And I'm like, I, you know, I can't do that. Like I'm, I was in a transition at the time from who I had been speaking in front of to who I want. Like, I, I just, this was like nauseating that they would, they'd ask me like specifics, like Starbucks or Dunkin', do they listen to podcasts yeah. where in the shower or on the, like, on I don't the know. bike or yeah. like while driving, I'm like, ah, you like feel like you're just making up this thing. Like go totally. find an image online that represents like, so I want to say that for someone to be your ideal client, you had to have been paid by somebody who fits that demographic or psychographic. If you are at, at a point where that is not the case, where you're shifting gears and you don't yet know who that is, then you're looking for likely prospects. And that just lowers the bar a little bit, maybe like, you know, destimulates a little bit. It's not about the perfection ideal. It's about likely. It's like, okay, it's likely these people. And what we're really leaning into is people who already know, like, and trust us. So we're not talking about Facebook ads or SEO or broadcast messages. We're really talking about finding people from within our existing network that we were going to have conversations with. And, you know, they're going to describe to us what their issues are. And we're going to go away and come up with a, with a modality. And then we're going to go back to them and make a suggestion. And then either they're going to be into it or they're going to be like, no. And that's where we go from there. But we don't go and build out an entire thing and then go and sell it to them. Like you want to vet all along the way. Mm -hmm. So I once was launching a group program and I was having a conversation with someone over lunch and she started asking me about my coaching. And I said, oh, I have this group program and I was in the process of trying to fill it. So I was prepared for my like whole conversation with her about it. And then she said, oh, she just interrupted me and was like, oh, I don't even, I don't want to do group actually. I want to do one-on-one -on -one coaching. Do you have that? And I was like, oh, yes, I can. Okay. And like, I just literally back of the napkin math, like came up with like a, a way to work with her. So it made me realize that I, if I was just like, no, I only am doing coach, I, I, group coaching, you know, I would have missed this great opportunity that I had to sort of be open to. And if I wasn't, if I absolutely was not open to it, then she was not my ideal person to work that with. That makes perfect sense, yeah. You know, it's like she really knew she wanted a certain format and I was in the process of trying to fill a different format, but I had the choice, I'm the business owner, to either say, yeah, let's explore that together or no, I'm definitely not gonna, I'm definitely not interested in doing that. But 
I think it's helpful to be open and to th realize there's lots of ways. Like I use earlier the example of texting someone every day for a week because I do know programs where that would be so helpful. Like, could you imagine sending people a little like, you know, mantras or reminders or, you know, drink your glass of water or whatever. Accountability, <laughs> whatever. texts, things like that. Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. And, and we are all thinking about like, we need fancy video with, you know, learning management systems, like think if it can teachable. No, what if you just text people every day for a week, like, and get them to take the action? Like some people would be like, that's what I need right now. So we, we sometimes overblow, overthink the like, solution when something simpler would work. Um, but no, I don't think that you should turn yourself into a pretzel to deliver a modality that is not your like special like sauce. Um, but you also, I think, again, using the example of a, a mastermind, if you're like, I'm going to do a mastermind, you better find out whether people are ready for a mastermind, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, if you're not getting back the absolutely, that makes sense for where I am right now. And if you're instead hearing like, oh, I, I'm still not sure what I'm doing then it would really not make sense for you to go put together a mastermind and sell it. I, so the thing I'm really getting from this, there's two things. One is, first of all, I love your distinction between ideal customer and likely prospect. And I think that the entire industry of persona building nonsense that we're so often put through of like, you know, uh, sketching out demographics on someone that we've never even met, never even thought about and making all these judgments and ideas of who they are is, is such a silly construct that uh, I, I'm so much more into this idea of lowering the bar a little bit and saying, well, here are some things that I've noticed in my previous experiences that I like and dislike. So I'd say one, that's a really, really good model. The second thing is I think we're talking a lot about understanding where are sort of like your hard nose versus the things that you're flexible on. So if you know, like I am only comfortable doing this, or I am only interested in taking my career in a way that does this, then you need to, you need to find the ideal audience that wants that versus I have a solution but how I deliver it may change. Then it's about being open and letting the ideal audience that wants to buy that thing tell you how to actually do it. So I think it's about understanding where the, the flexibility points are versus the, um, the, like the non-flexible. As a good example, for instance, like I don't work Fridays. I watch my daughter. And I've had clients who are like, can we do a meeting Friday? And I'm like, no. I watch my daughter on Fridays. So like, that's not like a, like, well, the ideal client is telling me they'd like a Friday on, because for me, the Friday is a hard no. It's watching daughter, spending time with her. It's great. So uh, that's like a hard no. But on the other hand, if there's, uh, you know, a deliverable that they want and they're like, hey, could you do it as a video walkthrough instead of a PDF? Yeah, sure. Okay. That's, that's flexible. We can make that happen. So anyway, I really, I want to call out those two things because it's something that I got from it. And I, I want to pass it along to the audience. Um, but I want to ask you about the research calls and that process, um, because I've done um, a lot of research into uh, how online courses are successfully launched from a number of different sources. Uh, Brian Harris at Video Fruit, a lot of Amy Porterfield stuff, and so many of the people that are successful in this space talk about all of this work that you have to do in the, in the beginning to really talk to the people that may want to buy from you. You build that list, you talk to people that are interested, and you let them help kind of create the product to a certain extent. How do you recommend getting comfortable with the idea of doing research calls? What sort of questions do you think people have to ask? How do they prep themselves for it? And I'd imagine you have resources that you can point people to, but because not every research call will be the same, but just the, this, the sound of doing that is a little daunting, candidly. Like, you know, you have to pick who you're going to talk to, what you're going to ask them, what you're after. Do you give them a sales offer afterwards? How much do you let somebody influence what you're doing? So I wanted kind of what's the, what's the overview of the research call process and how somebody might use this? Before we dive deeper into this, Jeff, I, I know we talked before we hit record about the small list 
uh, piece of the equation. I just I feel like we have to address this before we get into specifics. Yeah. Because part of the reason I think that research calls are so beneficial is that a lot of people think the reason they're not selling is that their list size is small. And by the way, small is like relevant. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I have worked with someone who has zero, two people, including their husband, um, <laughs> 250 people, 500 people, 200, 2000 people, their idea of small differs, right? Small is what you think is small. So they focus on building their list. And I am not anti like having an email list. I have an email list. I think, I think it needs to be an engaged list. I think it needs to have the right kind of people on it. And you want to have lead magnets that get that. But I think the emphasis on building your list over co-creating an offer with people who already know you is the mismatch for me. Like if you, yes, sure. Like in the process of doing this, you should be building your list. But what if you could just look beyond your list and realize that you have however many people are on your, or your subscription list, right? And by the way, if you want to not have people unsubscribe, Jeff, do you know how to get people to not unsubscribe to your email list? I wish I did. Okay. Here, here's <laughs> it here. Right. Ready? Stop emailing them. Well, that's fair. Right. That's totally then true. Because then choose, they don't right? have, yeah, then they don't choose to unsubscribe. That's actually a very uh, interesting little hack. <laughs> and also not the point of why you have an email list. So I yeah, think that totally. I actually am really grateful when people unsubscribe because they are self-selecting out and they're helping my open rates mm-hmm. and that's helping my deliverability. And I'd much rather they do that than to just ignore my emails forever. Oh, right? absolutely. So, There's nothing ignore. more disheartening than like, yeah. oh, I have an 11% open rate. And you're like, oh, this is not worth anything. Right. Yeah. So so that just want to have that in our minds. Like, like, sure, emails is there, but you also have... People, you know, through Facebook, you have people, you know, through LinkedIn, you've got your phone contacts. Like literally, if you looked at your phone address book, you probably have people in there from 11 to 15 years ago because you've had a phone, a cell phone for a really long time. And those numbers just treat porting over. And I went and looked and I was like, it's incredible. The names that I have in this, in this phone, like from so long ago, you've got your email, like you, there might be an email address book or you're most frequently contacted on your something, depending on your, your email list, your email, um, like your Gmail or what you're using mm-hmm. Yahoo. Um, and then, um, so there's just like all these other, like it, there could be your Instagram. It could, you know, there's so many ways to figure out like, who are your people? Where are they? Like, that's part of the equation is like, like oh, I, who are your research calls to? I don't have that many people on my, or I don't have the right people on my email list. It's like, right. But what about the right people in your LinkedIn, or the right people in your Instagram or the right people in your Facebook, right? Um, here's a little hack that I, I did, Jeff. I've been using um, something called schedule once which is sort of like a Calendly um, or Acuity. I've been using that since 2015. And I recently realized that I could download all the people that I have uh, that have booked a call with me. And when I de-duped, I ended up with 997 names. So that's 997 people that I actually had a 15 to hour long, 15 minute to an hour long conversation at least once in the last you know, five, six years. So there are, there are pockets of people everywhere. We just got to look for them. Mm -hmm. So that's the first step. The next step is to figure out how to prioritize those people. So I have a resource in my book that I call wake up your network, and it really walks you step by step. And then to help you sort of like even focus more deeply, I have a workbook with those steps that come free with the book. That's the spreadsheet, right? Yeah. So it's about that thing is kick ass, dude. (laughs) kick ass when i when i download that i was like i need to step up my lead magnet game and like my resource game because it was like so incredibly detailed and useful 
And it was like step-by-step, step, here's how you go and actually identify who in your network you need to talk to like next. So yeah. excellent job on that. Highly recommend uh, listeners go download that. I'll put I always want to mention, like, because I, I think that's helpful for, for us to have like the meta conversation of how did I create these, this content? So mm -hmm. I started writing this content in 2018. Um, my first book came out in 2017. And I, I said to my mentor, Dory Clark, I wanted to launch some sort of group offer. And I didn't know it was a course or, you know, group or whatever it was. And she said, you're going to learn a lot which if you think about it is not advice, it's, it's, it's a prophecy. Um, and so, so I did, I launched my first pilot in the, that fall of 2017. And then I outlined in the book, I discussed in the book, how I eventually turned it into group offer and how it eventually led me to discover who my clients, my ideal clients were. So when my second book was uh, being written in 2018, I actually paused it because I didn't have the next steps figured out. And I, my business was kind of being focused elsewhere. So I actually didn't publish it because I didn't want to just hit publish. I wanted it to lead to an offer this time. So I um, co-created the content though for the for that year of 2018 by running all these master classes, doing tons of research calls. I was coaching people, and so the content really was vetted along the way. But I didn't have the step by step in the book in 2018. So I go away for three years. I coach all I mean, dozens of entrepreneurs. I work for a company also coaching their entrepreneurs. And I start to realize that there's some themes, like every client I work with, I tell them, go find a hundred people to talk to. Like I, I kept giving them the same homework, essentially. Like, here's how you find that hundred people. Here's the calls you're going to have. And so in the book, as I go back to the book now to write it again, I'm like, I have to really detail this out. And so I do, but then before the book gets published, I give the workbook to people who attend a two hour mastermind with me. It was a hundred dollars. I ran nine or 10 of them. And so like 50 plus people, 60 people went through this program and they basically the hundred dollars was like required, but so was doing work in the wake up your network process. So they had to go through the steps, which vetted for me that it was working. Right. So before the book went live, I had 50, 60 people who had seen results by starting this process. And I also saw when they came to my mastermind, what were their questions? So I'm realizing there's still plenty more that I, you know, I've gave a lot away in the book, but I also know there were lots of things I could still help people with fine tuning or doing more, more carefully, more thoughtfully, more strategically beyond the book, right? You never want, I mean, sure you want to give away a lot, but if, if people can just do it on their own, well, one, they're not my ideal client. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's just true. Like if, if I can give you the how and you're like, I'm good, but the people who are like, I want to do this and not mess it up. That's, those are people I want. I know, like I could really help them and help them like achieve. So all along the way, I'm vetting stuff. And even the title of the book and the subtitle and the book cover, all that was created with other people's input. And I, I will tell you that the title that I originally chose, the subtitle and the book cover were not what got chosen because I'm not my ideal reader. Like I'm not my ideal client, you know, like I'm not them. So it kind of makes sense. But my original one was, uh, it was small list, big ambition with a question mark was the title. And then it was leverage your network to grow your business was a subtitle. Mm -hmm. And I put it out there in my network. And I said, my ideal readers are entrepreneurial women in their fifties and beyond who are looking to grow their impact and income through one to many offers. And I got all this feedback. And the, the one woman said, I don't ambition. Like the word ambition was clearly not resonating with this crowd under 45. Yes. Over 45. No. And a woman said, I, um, no, not ambition. So then I was like, how about small, this big, um, big goals. And then a woman wrote, 
no, I have enough goals. I need results. And like four other women jumped on the comment and were like, yeah, results. <laughs> and so yeah. I was like, smallest big results. And then I was like, exclamation point or no exclamation point. And we had a whole debate. And like, this is multiple threads over multiple communities online. And in the end, it was like, okay, too salesy, too pushy to have the exclamation point. Yeah. And then I looked up online and leverage your network to grow your business. The leverage your network part in Amazon was leading to books for careers, people who were trying to like get a job. And I'm like, oh, that's not the space that I want to be attached to. And then I realized, and this is such an important insight, that the solution is to leverage your network. That's not the problem people think they have. It's not the solution they're looking for. Mm-hmm. So no one was looking for a book about networking to help them solve their business issues. What they think the problem is, and I, in the book I describe this as their little P problem, their like, they're like symptom aware problem, is that they think that size of their email list is too small and that's why they're not selling, which is why the subtitle became launch a successful offer no matter the size of your email list. Mm. So you could have great vetted content and package it wrong and not, be, not have it be seen by the right people. Like if I had done all the content well and then put it out with the original title and subtitle and then the, the book cover, I like this blue cover that had a networking graphic with like women all like with lines and bubbles, like, you know, a graphic of networking. <laughs> Again, yeah. I think of networking as the solution. And there was this other graphic, which is the graphic we ended up choosing, which is like, I will say like a Wi-Fi symbol is the best way to describe it. Colorful, lots of different imagery. And people were like exclaiming over it. Like, like not just they liked it, but the, these women like, oh, the white one. Oh, I really like that one. I really like, I'm like, yeah. okay, pay attention to this, right? Like, it's just like so interesting. Like if my ego was attached to certain words or a certain image, or I'll be like blue or blue matches my website or whatever. None of that matters. It does not matter. It's not about me because I'm trying to serve other people. Right. And so I think all of this is important as you're thinking about who you're reaching out to. It's like being aware that you're reaching out to them because they have something to share with you that you actually do need to learn. You need to hear this piece and, um, and then go from there. Got it. Okay. So I feel like where we are in the process here is we've, we've outlined that, you know, you've got an idea for an offer. You need to be, you need to understand kind of where your guardrails are. Like, what are you flexible on? What do you kind of like no go about? Like what are, what are your sort of the boundaries of how this is going to go? And then you have to dig in and start talking to the people that have already raised their hand and said, yes, I am one of your people. Um, and, and I think this goes to why the whole uh, small list thing resonates because let's say you had a list of whether it's a hundred people or a hundred thousand people, we tend to only focus on the people that aren't opening our thing versus the ones that are. And it's the ones that are that are actually raising their hand saying, I'm actually interested in this thing. And they have so much more to offer us about what they like and what they didn't like. And you can get more of them by just talking to them. So this idea of doing the research and gathering that and letting them help to inform what it is that you're creating, I think is an absolutely brilliant way to go. So, so now you've done some of this work. You're, you're an entrepreneur. You're somebody that's about to launch something and you've done some work. You've talked with people. You let them talk kind about of- step-by-step about how to find those people. Do you want to do the like? Yeah, let's take let's take a, a little a, right. a little. I felt like I had to say the other stuff just because I want people to like have the bigger picture. Yeah, the okay, context. here is the granular step by step. Okay. Figure out a list you're gonna work from. I'm gonna just use LinkedIn as an example. So you can actually download a CSV and like an Excel file of your LinkedIn. Um, my recommendation is you copy it over to Google Sheets just because then you'll always have it. Yeah, where, where you easier go. to use. It's just easier to use. Uh, so you want to have, you're going to add, uh, a six columns, I believe. So the first column is consider, 
and you're just going to scam scan through this list and anybody that you think would recognize your name and you would be happy to hear from out of the blue put an x in the consider column i'm going to repeat the instruction here because people get this yeah. a little backwards you think they will remember your name and you would be happy to hear from them out of the blue mm-hmm. like of course they're going to be happy to hear from you <laughs> that's a given yeah <laughs> but you would be happy to hear from them. And these are people that you maybe worked with five years ago, 10 years ago, went to school with, it doesn't matter. Would they remember your name and you'd be happy to hear from out of blue, put an X. So now, you know, you may wait until you have 50 or hundred of those people, 200 of those people, and then you move forward to the next process. You don't have to have them all done because some of us have thousands of people to scan through, um, but whatever it is. Then the next three columns are gonna be um, their connection to you, their influence in the world and their interest in whatever it is you are talking about today. So connection one, two, or three, three is they're going to get back. Like if you reach out to them, they're going to, they're going to answer or they're going to get back to you right away. Like clear, you know, they're going to be like, Whoa, what's up, Jeff? You know, like, yeah. boom, I'm, I'm in one is, you know, you're not, you know, you might take a little effort to get, to get their attention. And you mm-hmm. just kind of know that. And it and could zero be zero is like, you're never going to hear back from you. Well, there's no zeros. So there's no zeros. So it's, it's, there's no halves, there's no zeros. Okay. So one, two, or three. Um, Cause if you don't, if they, if the zero is they don't so know. You're your talking name. about, you're taking from the list that you first gave like the answers in. Okay. Yeah. 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 But so you have the whole list. You're saying these next columns only you're picking only, only from the people that met the first criteria. Right. So it has okay, to be good. the first criteria. Got so it. If so they, that's if where they, I was confused. I was like, yeah. some of these people, like, they might even recognize me, but you're talking so about the, the people X. in that first one. Got it. Cause the okay. X column was the consider column. So you're going to consider them. So the people you'd filter so that you only looking at the people who are yes, you know, an X in the filter column. So now one, two or three for connection. The second column is influence. That's about their influence in the world. And the way I think of influence is, is if they get really excited about you and what you're doing, how many people could they tell? My mother could get really excited and she could introduce me to one perfect connection, right? She might know somebody who knows somebody, but she's not going to like have, you know, a platform and mm-hmm. she doesn't have like a following, you know, so, so no matter how excited she gets, she's going to be limited in how she could broadcast this to people who would listen to her. Whereas, you know, Jeff's got a platform, <laughs> right? So like, that's different. So influence to me, it's, it's not about a research project. I've had people be like, oh my God, how long is it going to take me to, to figure out everyone's influence? Like, no, no, no. A one, two or three based on your gut, you know, three being, yeah, wow. If this person got excited, Definitely, it would it would get a lot of ears. And one is like probably probably not. It's like my mm-hmm. mom. Now, influence is also about setting. So if you're doing something very local, and you have on your list someone from your local chamber, and they're a past president, and they know everybody, they've been in this network for a long time. Well, in that space, there are three influence because that's the space you're trying to operate in. But if you were trying to do something on a national level, and you had the same person on your list, then they're not a three because on a national level, they don't really have influence, right? So it's really like, they might be a two because they still have some influence, but I think context is really important. And then the last column is how interested might they be in what it is you want to talk about in that moment? So like right now I'm all about, you know, talking about business growth, but last year is all about Zoom. So like who cares about that topic even remotely? And again, based on their current role, where they work, the stuff, who they currently serve, um, what they post on social, you know, just getting a sense of, of what they do in the world, how inter- into what you are talking about might they be, one, two, or three. Again, gut. 
if they score a four or below when you add up those three numbers, that's the next column is total, then you're just gonna put a Z in the in the consider column. So the column that originally had an X, switch mm -hmm. that to a Z. You're gonna snooze them because for the moment, it doesn't really make sense to mm -hmm. like reach out to them, but you don't wanna delete them because they still pre-qualify in the, they would remember your name and you'd like to hear from them out of the blue and six months or a year and a half from now or four years from now, you might be doing something different and you might be like, they might be the perfect person to reach out to. So this so is a resource that's going to get better over time as you do. It will get better things. over time. Yeah. Yeah. And then you'll be adding new people too in six months in a year and a half. Right. So, mm -hmm. but you'll have already done this part. So, um, so you snooze them and then you can actually filter them out. If you're using a spreadsheet, you can, you can do something to drop them to the bottom, essentially. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll, really, I just say like alphabetize this column and it'll go to the bottom. Yeah. So now they're snooze, but now you've got everybody else. So people who've gotten, you know, twos and threes probably in these different columns. So the next column is to, to categorize them. And they're either going to be likely prospects or likely referral partners or possibly coffee chats. So a likely referral partner is somebody that has influence and some interest. So if they're a three in the, in, in the influence, if they have high influence and two or three interest, then they're a likely referral partner. Now they might also be a prospect by the way, <laughs> quite possibly, but mm -hmm. they probably operate in a space where they are around a lot of people that could be even interested in what you do. They could be a coach that has a program that attracts the kind of people you wanna work with. They could have, be a podcast host or an author, something where like, if they're into it, they could, they could share this and that's how you wanna approach them. Now, some of those people, like a subset are, are fellow experts so they are specifically working with the same demographic that you're trying to reach. And you want to identify them because those conversations will be very enlightening about like, what is the current market? And like, what are you hearing about this? How are people approaching this? And you want to understand where are the holes in the market and you want to understand what these people do because you don't do everything. So my example would be a ghostwriter and an editor, you know, they don't, those are, those are very comparable, but they're not um, identical services. And so someone who's a ghostwriter and definitely doesn't want to be an editor would hear people needing editing and could then refer them to you, the editor and vice versa. You'd hear people who want ghostwriting and you're like, no, I don't, I definitely don't do that. I'd like to refer them to people. Who, so you could create a really nice referral loop by being aware of like, what are the other people who are trying to serve the audience you're serving? And then you find something different. Or if there's, if there's, let's say you're also an editor and you're meeting other editors, now you differentiate yourself based on the genre, based on your experience, based on something about you that makes working with you different than any other editor there is, right? So it's not that you can't do similar services, but there's still something different about how you're doing it. So those calls are your likely referral partners. And sometimes, like I said, fellow experts are in, in particular. Likely prospects are people who score high, a two or definitely a three on interest, and they have a low influence. So they have like a one influence. So they're just, if they're, they might be super into it themselves, but they're probably not. I mean, they, again, they could always become a great referral partner. If they love what they're doing, they're going to tell their friends, but they don't out of the gate seem that way. And so those are the people you want to put down likely prospect and then think, okay, some of these people are who I'm going to reach out to. Coffee chats are the people who don't fall into either of the other two categories, but you were just so excited to see their name, right? You're just like, oh my God, Jeff. I should catch up with that person. I haven't thought that person so long. Oh, God. So you just like, 
energetically, it's a good idea to have a few people on your list that you reach out to each week who just like bring you that kind of like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. I'm really looking forward to this. They might surprise you and end up becoming a likely prospect or a likely referral partner by virtue of the new call. Like when you have a conversation, you might realize this is something's changed in their life because, you know, everyone's life's changed in the last two years. So, but you go into it differently. You don't go into it with that, you know, specific pitch or, you know, or a script in mind. Now you have to be careful that you don't overfill your call sheet with coffee chats and with likely referral partners, because it's where we're more comfortable because there's no sale involved. Yep. And um, the, the downside is that you don't learn enough about your actual future clients to create something with them. And you, you, you basically build, fill your day, but you're not getting a pipeline built. So in the end, I will tell you that you're just looking for 20 to 25, maybe 30 max people that you want to reach out to in the next six to 12 weeks. And so, you know, again, you're going to have hundreds of people you're, you're doing this with. And so you're going to end up with lots of people on that likely prospect list. At that point, I'd be looking for who would reach out and answer, who would answer your call first. So like, and I don't mean cold calling people out of the blue, like, yeah. you know, call, like I just you're setting like, up a call and you're saying, these are people who'd be willing to set aside the time for me. Yeah. These are people who are like, yeah, I'd love to do that. Whatever, you know, whatever you need. So the th- the two or three on the uh, connection is going to be important for you deciding like who are the people I'm going to put on that first like set of um, 20, 25, 30 people. And I would suggest that two thirds of that 25, 30 people are prospects are likely prospects just so that we don't overindulge <laughs> in the catch up calls with colleagues that like don't actually lead to new sales. Um, but we do want to have a mix. And I, and I do think having, like I said, a, f- a, a couple of coffee chats on our list each week, it could be a way for us to get going with this. Like, I think it's something we can all look forward to and not have as many reservations about. So there's some work to do to identify that initial 25, 30 people. And, um, but, you know, I, I would say just set a timer for 15 minutes and like chunk this. So, you know, 15 minutes is Pomodoro method, right? Do whatever the next step is for 15 minutes. The end of 15 minutes, you're either energized and you want to do another 15 minutes, go for it. And if not, stop and feel good about it. And at the end of the next 15 minutes, take a five minute break, like definitely take a five minute break after doing it for half an hour. And then you can, again, set a 15 minute clock and keep going. But just the idea that you don't just look at this like list and it's overwhelming, like, oh my God, I I just can't even imagine processing all this because we're really at the beginning of this. This is just to identify 25 people. And then when you're reaching out to them is the, is the next part of it, but I'll, I'll pause and see if you have any questions about what we've said so far, Jeff. No, so I think I get it all. So this is the process essentially prior to even doing the research calls, you have to kind of understand who the hell you're even going to be talking to. And there's a bunch of different types of people on that list. And you're really trying to put yourself in a position to talk to people who could be, would be potentially uh, later on customers to help to have them be the people that are informing the product, the service, the whatever the thing that you want to launch is. But you still also want to give yourself sort of what I would call like sort of like planned serendipity of like having the opportunity for like some of these other people to surprise you through a coffee chat or potentially being referral partners. They might put you in touch with somebody who could be on that prospect list. So you're, you're setting yourself up to have conversations of meaning and importance for this forthcoming set of research calls where you're going to gather the information. You said 25, 20 to 30 people, you said in that range of people to talk to have these prospect related conversations to help them co-create. So now you've got that and you're going to set out to uh, have a conversation with them about this product and service. 
right? That's what we're up to yeah. next. Yep. And I will say one of the other benefits of these uh, coffee chats is that it helps you practice the language. Um, you know, if you, if you are still trying to figure out how to talk about what you do or, or the thing you're trying to solve for, like coffee chats are a good place to, to practice that. And they don't have to know a ton of people to make one amazing connection. Like my mother can still make one amazing connection, right? And, and I, I have clients that have ended with five-figure contracts out of the gate, first, first client that they've, they've gotten paid by because of that one connection that led to one connection. So don't, it's, it's not saying like, I love the plan serendipity because I always say, if you know what you're looking for, you're more likely to find it. So I think, you know, if you're open, if you go into these conversations with an open mind, but also in a sense of like, here's what I'm looking to, to have happen, you will more likely spot the, the trend and be able to lean into it. Um, the one thing I would say that people most likely have uh, made a mistake on it, whether, however they come up with their list of people is that they then go into the call ready to tell people what they've created. It's like our instinct. We're so excited about this thing. So if we were to say something like, yeah, I quit my job and this, this is the thing I'm now building. Like there's no way people are going to give you negative feedback. Yeah. You know, like I've invested like $50,000 to make this work. Like no one's gonna be like, well, that's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, you know, if you're just like, I'm so excited. What do you think? Like, no one's going to be like, this really sucks. So we have to be very careful how we set the tone. And the best thing I found on this was a book. Um, I can't, now I forgot what exactly it's called. It's mom something. I'm going to get the name of it for you guys, because um, I was just listening to this book after my book came out and I thought, oh, it's called the mom test. That's what it's called. The and um, the mom test. And it's so good. Um, it's his name is uh, Rob Fitzpatrick, the mom test. He's like, you've got to be able to ask questions in a way that even your mom can't, who's biased, obviously, um, to want you to succeed, can't like lie to you. So you have to ask them that where you just really get at what they do and like ask them about their past experience doing things Like, don't ask people about their future because like everyone's so optimistic about their future, like what yep. they're going to do next. Um, don't ask for or fish for compliments, which is what we end up doing on these calls. And um, don't accept platitudes um, or, or like, it's great. Yeah. Don't accept that. Like really, like if people sh say something like you got to dig into, to find out more, like don't just accept those things. And if anyone has an emotive response, like positive or negative to what you're talking about, don't, don't go on to your next question. Like dig in. I mean, you and I are podcast hosts. So I feel like the way you and I host is like very similar. Like you don't just look, let something slide. You're like, yeah. wait, tell me more about that. You know, well, well, tell me the last time that happened and, and walk me through what you were trying to do. And you know, what was the outcome? So really like, like just listening better. And, um, the way I frame these calls, because I want to get on a call with someone. So in an email, I'm just like, Hey, I'm working on something new. And before I get too far down, into it, I, I thought I should talk to some people that I think have some I have some experience with this. And I thought of you, and I'm wondering if we can spend a little time just to chat about it. And this is the general theme of, you know, I'll just tell them like, here's generally what I'm trying to do. Um, and can we, can we schedule a quick chat? And so um, if they agree, then on the second email, I'll say, okay, so to better prepare for our time together, would you come with three questions? Or it might be three, three scenarios or three problems or three challenges whatever, three concerns, whatever makes sense for the, for the setting. And I'm like, bring, you know, bring these three things to talk about. And, uh, and here's my scheduling link. So the scheduling link does not get included in the first message. Um, but I do use a scheduling link because I hate the back and forth on email. So oh, yeah, definitely have cool. some sort of calendar form. Um, and now they come to the call and they have their three things. 
And I could easily answer those three things and we would be done with the call. <laughs> but I think, and I have a whole section of my book that if we give away an hour to the free advice, we're not actually leading us to more clients. Um, it's a, it, it ends up being like a list of random tactics. It's not strategic. They don't know what steps to take next. We all feel good about it, the call at the end, but in reality, they don't take action. And if they do take action, they hire somebody else to help yeah. them decipher the notes because they feel embarrassed that they didn't take action on your generosity and they don't want to bother you again. So it's like the opposite of how you want to leave things with a prospect. They like avoid you because they feel bad that they didn't take action. So don't just fill an hour with free advice. Instead, you'd say, wow, like, thank you for sharing those three things. Can you tell me a little more about how you, how you selected these three? Um, you know, how are they impacting your life, your, your team, your sleep, your home, like your relationship, like whatever it is, right. And what, what have you tried to, to do to fix this? Like, tell me how that's gone. Can you think of the last time this happened? Tell me what the steps you went through, like literally just asking them to, to ask, answer these questions. And in my book, I talk about little P and big P problems. So your, your likely prospects are only aware of like what they can see, which is to them, I mean, to them, it's a problem. This is from um, an awareness uh, piece that it's been around since like 1966. I and mean, this is not a new concept, but um, it's called symptoms. And I'm like, well, people don't think of what they have as symptoms like we do, but to them, this is a problem, which is why I call it a little P problem because yeah. like, it's the thing, like they think that, that their email list is too small. Like that's the problem they're, they're trying to solve, which is why they hire someone to do Facebook ads for them. Do you know what I mean? Like they're solving for the wrong problem, but it's still the problem they think they have. You need to, in whatever marketing you do, whether it's these calls, emails, videos, any social posts, you need to be helping people move from little P to big P, to having that bigger awareness of like, oh, here's what's actually going on. Here's the problem you're actually dealing with. Here's the challenge you really need to, to solve for. So on that call, you both want to help answer those questions, you know, but you want to spend a, like 15 minutes really just helping them realize like, how do they even think about these? Or is there something else that just came up that maybe is even more pressing? How urgent are these? Like, what if you didn't do anything to solve for this? Would you be okay? And here's the problem. Here's the thing about entrepreneurs. We hear someone say, I have trouble sleeping. And we go and build an entire program to help them yep. get better sleep. 100%. Guilty as charged. But they didn't say, and it's impacting my marriage and my, my boss is mad at me and I'm dragging through the day and I feel irritable. And now it's like my health is really bad and I'm no longer exercised. Like they didn't say all those things. They literally said, I have trouble sleeping yeah. and we build this like huge solution, but they didn't say that they're even trying to solve that. Yeah. And if they say something like, like, what if you were like, Oh, have you ever looked for an app to help you with that? And they're like, no, so now you're building an app, right? You're building an app that will solve for that, but they just told you that they haven't even bothered looking to see what's already on the market. Yeah. Like they're not comparing your offer to an existing one. They haven't tried to solve for it. And again, content is not the thing we're lacking these days. Like information is out there. So I just think that we put problems that are not there in the conversation. Like we need to be careful not to identify a problem that doesn't exist. If they're telling us that they don't care enough to solve for this, then we need to accept that at face value and not go and build because urgency is the reason people buy. If it's chronic, if it's something they've been dealing with for a long, long time, and they've just sort of learned to live with it, they're not looking to buy from you. They've tried at one point to fix it, but now it's more painful for them to try and fail than to just like as much as it 
something they don't want. They have sort of learned to live with it. It needs to be something acute, something maybe they've been dealing with for a while, but it's not yet chronic. It's something they still are like banging their head to fix. That's a person who's, who's, who's looking for something different. And if you help them see that you're a person who can actually guide them, they're going to, they're going to follow you. So I just think that we hear the, like, I, I have X thing going on in my life and we are like, oh my God, here's your 60 day program. Yeah. To solve it, for X. That resonates so hard with me because the, the, like the, I'm having trouble sleeping thing is like such a, a very like, um, relatable example, but it does completely miss that their reason why they might not be sleeping might be totally different. You're just providing a solution of like how to sleep, right? Or the the uh, what they're being impacted by is completely missing from here's how to sleep, right? And I was thinking that all of those websites that you go to that just you read the copy and you're like, wow, how did they get in my head like that? How do they know exactly what I'm experiencing? That only happens by way of actually understanding what somebody is experiencing. And uh, one of the things that I want to call out for people in this and like doing this type of research um, and, and why you need to not just answer the question when somebody tells you what their problem is, but instead dig deeper and try to understand it is when you're getting behind that, when you go back to those persona exercises that so many of us are put through, or you do that ideal client uh, exercise of trying to build that, you have two different things happening. You have your demographics, you have your psychographics, you have technographics and other things as well. But like primarily you have like, the, the kind of like who, what, when, where, how, what do they look like, whatever. And then you have the like, what's going on? Like, what are their preferences, their interests, their desires, their hopes, their dreams, their fears. And I've often found that psychographics are such a better way of building a customer profile because that can then across different types of groups be a common theme. Now, it may, it may be interpreted differently by different groups. So demographics can be helpful. But what you're suggesting by first making that list and then talking to that list specifically, not just to get simple answers or, or compliments and accolades, but really dig in on what they're experiencing and why you're getting both the psychographics and the demographics. Because now when you go back through that list after those calls, you can look and say, okay, what's the common themes here? What did people say that they were most struggling with or scared of or elated by? What are the things that they reacted to extremely positively or negatively? Then you can also look at demographically. Like I remember in your book, you said something that you know, your demographic, you, when you looked at your list, you were like, wow, they are like all over 55 year old women entrepreneurs. And you were, and you were just like, that's just, that's, they, they chose me. Right. And I've often said, you put me in a room, uh, with like, you know, back when I was running my marketing agency, um, if I was in the room with like a CMO or a director of marketing, who is a, a woman in her like late forties and up, like that was my ideal client. Like we just connected, we got along, we did well. Whereas like the, the gruff sort of like finance CEO, like conquer when it all costs dominance, like we just didn't see eye to eye. Um, but I, I really like how the process actually reveals the answer to these questions that we otherwise typically guess at. Who's your ideal client? Oh, I guess, uh, 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 and you just make it up versus this, you're getting such clear actual answers to that question. So it, I, I, um, why have not myself for my own things done this process? I've been thinking as we're going through this about how I want to implement this for some of my lines of business and actually ask some of these questions that I'm assuming I know the answer to. And I'm basically showing people how to sleep, right? Like I'm answering the question before I figure out what it is that they're actually looking for. So I think it's a really, really good process you've, you've outlined here. It is so common sense, right? Like, yeah. Oh, we're hearing so it out loud. Sense. It's like, duh. Of course, that makes sense. But 
I, I think when we are entrepreneurs and we're problem solvers and we're about taking action and the whole like ship it mentality. And I actually really like the idea of ship it, like don't be over perfect, but the time it takes to do this, like, let's say it took you six months to do all this, which is actually like twice as long as I think it should take you. Um, that's still a better six months you spent because you've also built this like runway for whatever you create, which may be exactly what you originally planned or something completely different, but you have all these people who've helped participate in like co-creating that either they end up being the right people for the offer, or even if they're not, they still feel somewhat invested because they helped. So they're more likely to refer you to the, to the people who are the right people because they were, they participate in the process. Yeah. And invested in some way. In if you have a huge email list, like you can sidestep this a little bit. If you have a really big email list, then I think of it as being like a person who owns a, a bunch of helicopters. And I've got this little tiny plane that needs a really long one runway to, to take off. But if you have like tens and tens and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people on email list, and you put an offer out, the, the 2%, right? That's like the standard conversion. Like if you have 100,000 people and you put it out an offer, 2% are going to say yes, you're going to be fine. We, those of us who identify as like smallest, and I've been thinking of like, this is our smallest revolution because, you know, the revolutions did not start with an outline of exactly how it was going to happen and then turn and sell it to the people. It was the people rising up who demanded a certain action, a certain change, and then people stepping in to help coordinate and orchestrate that change happening. But again, the audience was built first, yeah. right? The people demanded it. And I think too often we don't let people demand it. We, we, we tell people what they need and they're like not ready for it. So if you have the ability to just launch a helicopter, you can just take off. But for all the rest of us, this two, three, six month process is building the audience, is, is getting traction, is getting people like excited and is helping us create a better end product. Like yeah. the end product, both the content and the way we package the product will be improved by talking to these people. But you're also, even if you're a know-it-all who absolutely learns nothing in the process, you are still going to be building interest and enthusiasm and buy-in to what you're creating. And it'll just be so much easier. And if you're doing this for a group program, you can pilot it. If you're doing it to do B2B, you'll figure out a company who's going to let you pilot it within their company. If you're looking for more one-on-one -on -one clients, you will get much clearer about who you want to have fill your calendar and get clear on who you don't. And therefore you will create a referral network to send people to other people. And you will raise your prices because you will understand your value better. And it will be more valuable because you'll be actually working only with people who really need you, right? So all this mental stuff also happens, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's group, whether it's B2B, B2C, B2E, like it doesn't matter. I just, the, we don't do this process because we're in a rush. We wanna get it done faster. And we somehow think over and over again that doing this ourselves without doing this step will get us the result quicker. But our history tells us that's not true. We also it, hate but, asking for help, right? Like it, it's a sign uh, of weakness to have to ask for somebody else's opinion, right? Instead of just knowing That was one of the questions everything. that I asked during my three-day training the other day. Um, yeah, I was like, what's stopping you from asking for help? Because I do think that's part of the mental stuff we have to go through. Yeah. Um, and and it, you have to believe that like the outcome is better by asking, you know, and that people like helping that like not asking people to help in these little ways is denying them the happiness of helping you. 
right? Like it's like not letting them in, not letting them like give you that feedback, not letting them like give you their thoughts. And people love having opinions. Like, you know, this is like not a hard ask. Yeah. This isn't like write my, you know, write my introduction to my book. This isn't that kind of ask. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm writing a post on this right now on the concept of asking for help because I'm reading a book right now um, uh, called How We Show Up by Mia, I think it's like Songwell. Uh, really, really good book. And she talks a lot about in, in it. She has a whole thing about asking for help and the reluctance to ask for help and individualist culture versus community culture. And one of the things she talks about is that essentially um, we feel good when we help others. And when we deny others, the ability to help us, we're denying them happiness. And I was like, Damn, I, that hits hard in my line. It's hard. So Jeff, my background is teaching people how to do fundraising asks. And so you know, talk oh, yeah, about yeah, yeah. I remember asks. that from the, the story uh, yeah. in, in the book you tell about. It. It's a really good one. Yeah. So I, I'm just used to like trying to help people get over their own like fear around asking for money for a cause. Right. And I'm like, you know, same thing as an entrepreneur. You gotta, it's not about us. Like if, if, if you go into a meeting and all you're thinking about is your own nerves, you are not serving the people in the room. Totally. Like that's not what your goal was. So like we've got to like kick ourselves out of the way and let these offers and let these relationships like happen. Um, but so you, you said something about themes. I just want to mention that the book gets into this and the toolkit has a resource about this, about how to analyze the problem language. Zoom is my preferred way of doing these because now Zoom has a free way of, um, uh, transcribing. So it's built in mm-hmm. and I talk about in the book, how to turn that on. Um, you could download from somewhere and go to rev.com or otter.ai, but otter.ai is now built into Zoom for free, which is pretty awesome. Um, but you that. do have to then like actually um, engage with the material. Like you can't just like transcribe it and then not look at it again. Like there's definitely some steps. There's a whole spreadsheet for how to identify problem language and urgency and themes. So my suggestion is to kind of like work on that within 24 hour, 48 hours after each call. Just really like building a system. Don't ignore all this, like build the system. Don't let it become a huge backlog because then you're never going to want to get done. And I will just tell you that I've had dozens of clients go through this process. Um, they've all resisted it like two, two, one. <laughs> um, the ones who've actually done it and done the problem analysis have all found something incredibly valued from the process. Um, some felt incredibly validated by their original offer which was great. Um, some took a left turn because of what they heard. Yeah. And some didn't know who they were serving as they, they didn't have a, a they were just so broad, you know, I help people, <laughs> I help yeah. leaders and you know, all those broad ones that they really got much more clarity through this process about the demographic and psychographics of who they serve. And, um, and I love earlier, I just want to say that my own, a sense of my ideal client has shifted through this book launch because I was very clearly about this demographic of women over 50, entrepreneurial women over 50. But now I realize the psychographic is even, even kind of a bigger overlay. It's still, that's still the right demographic when I think about demographics, but it's, it's not simply that age. It's not simply that gender. It's about people who are at a point where they just need to take action. They're ready to do more. And so um, I've now met men who are and the thing is, I think that over 50 still is a factor because people younger than that, I think they have time to kind of figure it out on their own. Uh, my ideal client would never say, I'll just figure it out on my own. Like that does not fit in with what they need right in that moment. Um, so it's someone who has some urgency about figuring it out and figuring it out soon and uh, coachable, um, open to learning, like wanting, wanting a guide. Like those are the psychographics and they're, they're ready to like, they're ready to have that happen. Like they're ready to, 
Like I, like my year long program for next year, it's this big investment. And the two people who signed up first don't even know what their offer is yet. And I told them that's actually a good thing because they haven't already spent a year and a half trying to sell something that wasn't working. They have a list of skills and, and assets that they have. They know they have a list of things they can bring value-wise. And now they're going to go and talk to people and figure out like what their offer ends up being. And how, I mean, out of the gate to just do that and not spend two or three years, like making mistakes. Yeah. It's like they were handed a map that said, avoid all these minefields. And they were like, okay, I'll do that then. And I don't know, like most people like need to hit like several minefields before they, they learn there's a map. So I really appreciate uh, this masterclass for a variety of reasons. And I want to try and sum it up and connect the dots on all of this for all the listeners at this point. And then I want to um, turn towards, uh, I know you have a free resource that you put together for us. And I want to give you a chance to talk about that and where people can get the book and where they can connect with you and all of that. But um, we started out this masterclass talking about how to build a market before launching an offer. And so often when I look into what's out there about putting together an offer, there's so much about research. There's so much about talking to your audience and all these things, but it's all very vague. And I think what you've managed to do here is put together a very clear set of steps, but more importantly, and this is the part that I want to highlight is I think, I think what you've done by outlining this process is said by going in, first of all, building the list as the starting point, that's often missed in when a lot of these online course makers will say, oh, go do research. Like you've actually given very methodical way of thinking about who to talk to. So I really appreciate that. And then when you go and talk to them, you are actually by way of talking to them, building the market. You are, that is, I, I think the big misconception is, is that the research is one thing and built and marketing and building the market is another thing. What, what you've done here is you've actually shown that they're collapsed into a single uh, step really. Like you are talking to the people who you will likely then sell to, and they are actually helping you co-create a thing that they want, that you have the skills and abilities to actually provide an answer. Um, so you're, you're combining the research with the marketing, which I think is absolutely brilliant. Um, and then as you put together the, uh, the, the program, you know, exactly who your first people that you're going to go to. And that's why it connects with the small list piece is that you actually have made it very clear that by way of looking at LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter and the people in your phone book and the people in your email list and all of those things, that you have a large enough list of people to find the ones who would be interested in what it is that you have to offer, potentially the influence and, uh, and, and the ability to help you define and create the perfect product. So I think that you've, you've outlined all of the steps that we need in a masterclass uh, to fulfill on the promise we made at the beginning. That's how to build a market before launching an offer. So thank you for coming on and showing everyone how to do that. You're muted. Book is called Small List, Big Results. Uh, launch a successful offer no matter the size of your email list. And the resource that you get from buying the book, when you get the book, which is available now in paperback and Kindle, there's a resource called the Big Results Toolkit. And so when you get the book, you'll see a link. And that has a workbook for the Wake Up Your Network process. Uh, it has a workbook for analyze your problem language, and then it has worksheets to help you think about different aspects. So there's a part in the book about how to structure your time and think about goal setting and the difference between quarterly and 12 week sprints. And then it tells you sort of like, if you're going to do 12 week sprints, here's the four weeks in between your 12 week sprints, how I suggest you can use your time. And so it has that, it has like a list of books to read that I mentioned in the, in the book. It has information about using Calendly or, or Acuity or um, any of these online calendaring tools. So it's just like, I'm trying to give you all the resources 
it is a lot. I've been asked by a lot of people, um, how are you comfortable giving so much away? But again, it comes down to my ideal clients not going to take this and run with it. They need to know it exists. They need to know that they could do it. They need to know that there's a strategy and a structure, but they also know that left to their own devices, they're not going to achieve what they imagine could be achieved if they were to work with someone. And they have big goals for what they want to have done in the next year or two. So I feel very comfortable because I, I like the idea of everyone getting the information and if yeah. they can run with it, congratulations and go for it. Um, but you might hit a point where you need to circle back and, and I'm here. Like, and that's part of like putting out their best content, right? The whole giveaway, your best content, it's all there. But there are parts of the book where I describe the fruit, but did not give the fruit. So like I describe the kind of email you want to send to set up a research call. And I mostly was like, shorter than, nope, shorter than that. <laughs> I yeah. was like, write it and then cut it in half, you know? But if you were to work with me, I would actually review your actual text and help you create a template, right? Yeah. Like that is the difference between what you can get from a book that's written for everybody and what you get from working with a coach who's singularly focused on you. And I, I think the distinction is something that I think content creators can get better at because we're, I know people who are like afraid to give out their stuff. Um, but people need to know that it's possible. So I'm, I want to give you enough runway to try all these things on your own. And when you're like, whoa, I, this is great, but I want to go faster. That's where I think, you know, people know that I'm still around. Amazing. And the best place to get in touch with you is on your website, right? Yes. RobbieSamuels.com and then smallestbigresults.com is how you find the book and the um, wake up. The, sorry, the resource, the uh, toolkit is that wait, uh, sorry, smalllistbigresults.com is where you find all of that. But yeah, robbysimons.com is where you find that. And then um, if folks want to watch the replay, this is going to be kind of interesting because I haven't done this online yet, but I did this three-day training that was about the concepts in the book and the replay is no longer public. Um, I took it down, but I did move it to a private uh, link. And if anyone wants to reach out to me, LinkedIn, email, whatever, find me and say, I'm really interested in seeing that. I'm happy to send it to people one by one. Cool. Cool. Awesome. I will put every bit of that in the uh, show notes. You can uh, connect with Robbie. You can uh, get the free resource you put together, which is at robbysamuels.com slash shareable, correct? Yes. Oh, right. Sorry. robbysamuels.com forward slash shareable. Honestly, I should be mentioning that instead of the smallest big results, because that is a link that credits you, Jeff. So folks go to that one, because if any of you end up working with me, it's for me to know to say, come back and say thank you to Jeff. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, this was kick-ass and I have so many things that I'm working on myself that I'm going to be applying this. And, um, and I really appreciate how much work you put into the book. And even if, um, uh, there are going to be numerous people that are going to read the book and not work with you, um, that's going to improve the world and make people able to do things. And the people that do come to you, you get to work with them and help them launch their offer. So I appreciate all the work you put into it for those yeah. who are going to work with you and those that aren't. And uh, for everything you gave away in this episode, I think there's just only one possible word that we could say would describe an episode with this much value in it. And that would encourage people to share it with those that they love. I guess it would be shareable. Wait, don't leave. If you've never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me please? Okay, if you enjoy Shareable and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show, Shareable. Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. 
The third way that you could support the show is by blogging about it or discussing it on your own podcast or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing. You see, Shareable is just one of many projects that I'm working on at any given time. I've got another podcast called Rogue. I do a live streaming show every week called The Heroic Council. I've got a blog where I release a blog post twice a week. And if you're looking to keep up with all sorts of different content that can help you grow and become a superhero in life, I want you to check out jeffgibber.me. That's where I list all of my current projects and projects that are coming up in the future, including my forthcoming book, The Lovable Leader. It would mean a lot to me if you could go and check out some of the other things I've worked on because I put just as much of my heart into those projects as I do into Shareable. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for being a supporter. And I hope to see you here on the next episode of Shareable.